Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for um, this day and this morning. I thank you for every um, every single and non-single in this room. <laughs> um, I thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that you've given us your spirit. And I thank you that you have things you want to say. And so I ask that even right now, God, you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and you would lead and guide my words. I pray that everything... Um, that you want to communicate, Lord, will be communicated. I ask that you would increase and that I would decrease. And I ask that um, your word would leave a mark on our hearts, God, that it would have an impression on our hearts. So I love you and I ask for you to have your way. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, so I'm not talking about singleness. Um, but I am talking about, oh dear, this is a situation. Okay, I am talking about uh, virtue and godliness. Um, and potentially some other things. Um, we're going to be looking at Second Peter 1, if you want to flip over there and be ready for that. But um, first thing, once again, didn't know I was speaking on this passage, so kind of had a direction I was going, and then, surprise, there was a passage. Um, so, so to me, that means that, like, the Lord has something to say through this passage that, that I wasn't necessarily planning. So the Lord, I may be talking about whatever, whatever, and God speaks to you through something in this passage, cool. Like, um, yeah, so just be open or receptive to that. Um, so let's read the passage in Second Peter, and then uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, cool. Who's everyone there? Mostly there. We're in Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3, okay? Um, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It's a long sentence. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's like a long passage. It's a really good passage. Um, It has a lot of, there's a lot there. And so... When I looked at this passage, I was like, I could literally talk about almost anything because almost everything's addressed in this passage. It's not a very focused passage, it seems, at first. Um, But my goal is to kind of talk about... um, kind of talk about godliness and what godliness is, okay? So that's kind of the goal. Because really what what um, Peter does here, look at that first sentence. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So basically Peter's like, we have everything that we need to walk in a godly way. And here's what that looks like. And here's what our call is in that context, okay? So we're going to be a little interactive though. And I want you to tell me, let me see what I... Okay, I want you to give me some um, definitions of godliness or what you think godliness is or what you think of when you hear the word godliness. Go. There's a lot of stuff up here. Good job. 
All right. So um, my point in doing that was was twofold. Was one to show us um, how little we know about some of these words we use in the church a lot, especially raise your hand if you have been raised or are being raised in a Christian home. Okay. So, all right. So if you have been in this environment where we're in church all the time, right, you're a pastor's kid. So you get like the double dose, like home is church. It is church all the time. And so if you've been raised in this setting, um, you hear words like godliness and faith and repentance and mercy and humility and kindness. And, um, you hear these spiritual words all the time. And then when it says, when I, when someone says to you, what does that mean? What does that look like when it comes to actually practically applying that in your life? It's really hard because look what happened when we did that. We started coming up with a whole bunch of other little floaty, sparkly words. You know what I'm saying though? Right? So we're like, what does godliness mean? Godliness means that we're Christ-like. Well, what does that mean? That means that we are loving. Okay, well, I know a lot, of, a lot of loving atheists, depending on how you define love. I know a lot of merciful um, and forgiving agnostics, if you want to go down that road. I know Muslims that are feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. Okay, so we have to actually think about what some of these words that we hear all the time in the church, what they actually mean, Right. Okay. The other thing is that I wanted to point out to us um, how hard it is sometimes for us to actually think about how to apply stuff in scripture to our lives. Okay. So we have some have our quiet time at home and we read the word and we're like, yeah, I need to walk in that life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called me to his own glory and excellence. What does that mean? Like, but most of the time in the morning or whenever you have your quiet time, you read through that and you say, yeah, God, help me to do that. Okay. Amen. And so it's just this, it stays floaty. It stays up in this little cloud of something that's not practical and doesn't actually touch your real life and really get displayed in the way that you live. Okay. So, so that's one of the reasons I wanted us to see this. And that's what actually, that's what Peter is talking about. Um, that's the context in which he's writing when he writes this. Okay. So Peter, who knows who Peter is? Logan, tell us who Peter is. Okay, a disciple of Jesus. And you know, what else about him do you know? Think really hard. Ooh, he denied Jesus three times, right? So Peter had some failure in his life, right? But he also, he got to see Jesus when Jesus was um, glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. So there's a story in the Gospels. Um, Jesus goes up on a mountain, takes three of his guys with him. And Jesus is like a normal person at this point, And then, bam, he's like glowing with the glory of God and they freak out. And, and so Peter gets to witness that Peter gets to witness Jesus's glory in that moment. All right. Um, Peter was also a fisherman from a small town. Okay. He, he wasn't like a really big, big name guy. He wasn't a pastor or a preacher before Jesus called him. He was just a normal fisherman dude. Um, and so, so after that though, Jesus said to him, you are my rock. Okay. And so Jesus called Peter to really establish churches. Okay. So after Jesus went, ascended up to heaven, after he rose from the dead, Peter and the apostles took on this huge mission of establishing churches and of, and of growing people in the knowledge of who Jesus was. Okay. Cause people knew about God. They talked about God, they talked about Yahweh, but they didn't realize that Jesus was Yahweh. And so Peter's job was to go and say, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Lord. Okay. So, 
Peter's doing that. All right. So Peter writes this letter to a group of people who had heard his message, who had, who had become Christians, who had decided, yes, Jesus is Yahweh, but there were false teachers that were coming in to tell them stuff. Okay. And so these false teachers were saying several things. Um, this is important because it kind of relates to our culture. So one of the things that these false teachers said, um, was that, Jesus wasn't really coming back. There would be no judgment. And so you could actually live however you wanted. Okay. Their, their, their main goal in life was pleasure and the experience, the human experience of pleasure. And so because they were seeking pleasure all the time, there was no self-control or refraint from sinning. You didn't have to forgive because forgiving is painful. You didn't have to be compassionate, show hospitality or be a servant because all of that is painful. Okay. So their one goal was to be free of any form of pain and to experience pleasure all the time. This is actually a Greek philosophy that was like in favor at the time. And Peter was writing to a bunch of people that were most likely Greek. And so this was floating into their churches. So that this church is like, Oh, Jesus isn't coming back. Oh, we don't have to practically live this way right now. It's not going to matter in the end. It's not going to matter. There will be no form of judgment. It won't matter if we've done right or wrong. All that matters is that we've experienced pleasure. And we can say that we know God because, you know, we believe that he exists, but he won't actually affect our lives in any way, shape, or form. Okay? There's a lot of that attitude today for us in our culture. Um, There's a lot of talk about God's grace um, in a a wrong way where we talk about, we're like, yeah, we're, we're under grace. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. Um, and so we abuse God's grace. Um, and there's also a lot of, like, just a lot of disbelief that, that God is actually going to, to interact with us in our lives now and that he's actually going to return to the earth one day. So, so we kind of live in a similar setting to, to these people that, that heard this, all right? Um, and so when Peter writes to them, he is intentionally trying to point out, actually, you can't do that. You have to be making every effort to supp- supplement your faith. You can't just have this head knowledge, your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge of self-control, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to look at this, this word that he writes. Um, he says the word godliness in two places in this passage. Where, where are those two places? Verse three and verse seven. Guys, Diane is the best one right now. <laughs> Okay, so um, th- I'm going to talk about the Greek word for a second. This Greek word that is translated as godliness, um, one one dude who knows more about Greek than I do said, it should not be understood simply as religious devotion. This word in the Roman Empire, as well as in the Greek, um, had to do with showing reverence and practical loyalty to those to whom it is due. The gods, parents, relatives, ancestors, social institutions, and your fellow citizens. What was prized most highly by the Romans was dogged determination and an unflinching devotion to duty that was expressed practically. This was a very practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. Okay, so this word, when we see the word godliness, there are other words that can be translated for godliness. And this is one of the only places that this word shows up. And this word specifically meant it's a very practical thing that has actual implications for your life that you live now. All right. So so what I want us to understand is that whether you're 13 and most of your day is listening to your mom talk about algebra uh, and you wanting to play video games or whether you're, you know, 25 and you're in the workforce and you're trying to figure out how you're going to serve God in that place or you're 
I won't say your age, Diane, but or your Diane's age and looking young and beautiful and serving God in that season of life, um, whichever season of life that it is, your faith should have a very practical effect on your life. It shouldn't be something that's compartmentalized from the way that you go to work. It shouldn't be compartmentalized from how you choose to spend your money. It shouldn't be compartmentalized from the, re- the choices you make about relationships. It shouldn't be compartmentalized. Well, who knows what compartmentalized means? Am I using a word people don't know? Aha. Okay, good. You guys got to tell me when I say something you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, compartmentalized means to put things in different compartments. that's what it means. (laughs) It basically means to separate and say, hey, this goes over here and this goes over here. It's like saying, here's my Jesus stuff over here and here's my my me stuff or my other stuff over here. This is the sacred, holy, godly stuff and this is the whatever, I can do whatever, it's life stuff. Okay? But here's the thing. This word for godliness means that that's a false distinction. There is nothing in life that doesn't belong under the umbrella of God's reign and rule and what he wants us to be doing in life. Like literally nothing. And, and that freaks me out. And I think, um, like practically one of the, one of the things that I feel like I'm consistently praying to the Lord is like, okay, God, show me what that means for, um, like here's some of the practical questions I ask myself. Okay, God, if you are Lord over all and every aspect of my life is supposed to be brought under your reign, is it okay for me to watch TV at all? Like, that's a practical question that I'm asking God often, okay? I'm not saying watching TV is a sin. I'm just, I'm just showing you some of the, the path of, of questions and the path of wrestling that we're called to walk down when, when we really want to submit our whole lives to God, right? Or here's another one. God, if you're really Lord of all, if you really reign and rule... What does it mean that I spend X amount of dollars a month on coffee? Is that sinful when there are starving people in the world? How do I balance that? What am I supposed to do? Another question. Lord, if, um, if everything in the world is supposed to be brought under your reign and rule, what does that mean for recycling and taking care of the earth? If this earth is God's and if I treat it badly... Am I sinning? Like, am I sinning by wasting water? Am I sinning by wasting paper? Okay, so so when I, when I throw godliness up here, I don't think anybody was thinking recycling, right? <laughs> that didn't get thrown out here, right? And when I said godliness, I don't think anybody was thinking about TV, right? Like, maybe under self-control or something. I don't know. But my, my point is this, that we tend to put God in his God box And then we have our whole life over here and we make all of our decisions with no respect for what God would maybe desire. Okay. And I'm not talking, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can never buy coffee or watch TV or use a paper plate. That is not what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, I, but what I am saying is that we need to be walking in a way that says, all right, Lord, I want to honor you in every aspect of life. And therefore I need to hear you on these things. Okay, there's a ton of other things that we need to hear the Lord on too, right? So relationships. If you're dating, what does that look like for you to be dating someone and still be walking in purity? You know, what, what, those, are, those are big questions that we have to be asking the Lord. And you can't, I can't, um, I can't say, God, I want to live a godly life and then ignore him. 
when he tries to talk to me about the practical expression of that, right? Yeah, does that make sense? Okay, so my point here is is the same thing that, that Peter's trying to make, okay? And Peter was writing because these, these false prophets and teachers, they came into the church and they're like, you can live however you want. And they were super immoral. And um, they were basically leading people down these paths of sin because they said that their practical actions in this world didn't matter. And what Peter is writing to say is, no, no, no. It's the very opposite of that. Um, so let's look at this list that... Um, Peter gives us, and I'm just going to make a couple of points about each of those words and kind of what they mean for us in our culture, in our context. Um, so verse five, right? It says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay. Uh, before I actually talk about the words, um, that, do you guys all have that same, does it say make every effort to supplement your faith or do you guys have a different like kind of translation? We have. Goodness. Yeah. Same thing. Okay. I make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness. Who else has something different? Diane? Giving all diligence. Add to your faith. Virtue. Good. ESV. Um, what other, is there anything else that people have? Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, so this this phrase, make every effort or give all diligence, um, make every effort to supplement or to add. Um, so that actually, the word was used, this is, this is funny, the word was used when people wanted to put on a play um, in back in the day, like when Peter was writing. People wanted to put on a play, people wanted to put on a drama, and um, dramas cost money. I don't know if anybody knows, like, have, has anyone been in a play? Okay, and so you have to wear a costume, and there's makeup, and there's lighting, and there's rehearsals, and there's music, and there's a sound system. You usually have to rent out a space, okay? This word was used for the person who would pay all that money way ahead of time, even even if the whole thing was going to be a failure. This person would give this huge sum of money. It literally was used for, like, the richest person in town who would give tons of money. They would supplement. They would add. They would give. They would give all this stuff to this group of actors and this group of artists so that they could put on this drama. All right? So that's the word that we're told to use. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, that's kind of a weird word to use. Um, I'm not really sure why the Lord, you know, chose that word. But as I got to thinking about it, I thought, okay, the Lord says that we are his temple. The Lord says that we are his city on a hill, that we're the light of the world, that we're the stage that's been set for his glory to be displayed for the drama of his kingdom, for the drama of who, what God is like, what Jesus is like to be displayed, to be set forth for the whole world to come and see and say, whoa, that's what God is like. And they respond that way. Okay. So we're told to make every effort. We're told to give extravagantly to that process. Um, and one, one dude said this. He said, we are to cooperate with God for his purposes, working with him without thinking of the price. We don't hold back from him. That's why it says make every effort. It doesn't say make the effort that's comfortable or easy or not costly. Like we don't get to sit there and say, ah, God, this is going to cost me too much. It's going to be too hard. We give without considering the price. We just give so that God's glory yeah, so that God's glory can be displayed. The quote is, we are to cooperate with with God 
according to his purposes, working with him without thinking of the price so that his glory can be displayed like in the drama of our lives and the drama of the stage. I think that's really cool. So with every effort, we want to supplement our faith with virtue or goodness. All right. So let's talk about that word for just a second. Um, it's a word that we hear like, Again, we hear the word goodness or God, for you are good, for you are good, for you are good to me. We sing the word good, 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 good. How you doing? Good. This burger is good. Whatever. We use the word good all the time. So it doesn't have, again, it doesn't have a lot of meaning to us. But it has a lot of meaning if we consider it in contrast to sin and evil. Right? Light is important when there's darkness. Okay, and so when we think of goodness, we want to think of purity, but we also want to think of excellence. We want to think of excelling. God's people should be people that are excelling in goodness. When people come near you, they should be like, it's like a bubble of goodness around you. Not like a bubble of like naivete or happy-go-luckiness necessarily, but like goodness, like real goodness from like deep inside um, where your life is looking like the heart of Jesus because his heart is good. Okay. So, um, we have to understand that in the context of the world and in the context of sin and evil. Um, the next thing that he lists is knowledge. This word for knowledge is different from the first word that he uses for knowledge, where it says verse three that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. That's like the knowledge, meaning like you got saved knowledge. Okay. Like, Whoa, I know you now, God, you just saved me. Um, this knowledge verse six, five and six, see it this knowledge is like acquired process of learning knowledge this knowledge this word knowledge literally was applied to like people who would sit around and read books and think about stuff okay now your christianity is not about sitting around reading books and thinking about stuff but i do think it should include it and just because you're 15 or 16 doesn't mean you're excluded from that process okay 15 and 16 you you have a good brain like My mom would always tell us that we were smart when we were younger, and so we believed it. And so we just were like, okay, I can learn stuff. I can know stuff about God. Like, you are, you have a good brain, Jordan. (laughs) Like, seriously, though, whether you've, you've felt like you have a good brain, whether you, you, whether you know, or, or other people have said to you that you're smart and that you can learn, like, you have a good brain. You can learn. God didn't mess up when he, like, made your head. He, he, he made it good. Okay. Now I'm not saying that things like dyslexia and reading struggles aren't there. They are, but listen, you can learn stuff about God. All right. You can listen to sermons. You can talk to your friends about stuff. You can go to Bible studies. You can listen to worship music. You can press into who God is. Okay. And this kind of knowledge requires a pressing in to who God is. It's not a passive thing. It means you actually go out in search of knowledge and you acquire knowledge about God. Okay, so that's one of the things you have to be doing practically. Okay, so that kind of falls under our. Um, yeah, well, we said. Um, yeah, we said partaking in God's word. But you said it now. Being studious in God's word. Yeah. And in other things, too. Like, some of you, uh, uh, okay, being a pastor is not more important than being a doctor. Being a missionary is not more important than being an engineer. 
being a someone who works in an orphanage is not more important than um, working in corporate America. Okay? Qualification on this. <laughs> Qualification on this is that you are seeking to honor God in those areas. Right? So some of you are amazed to be musicians and artists and moms and dads and, and authors and... Um, like some of us, we have these callings in these other areas. It's not all about how can I serve God in the church? Like that's very important, but that's not the only thing you're called to. Okay. And so we have a, we have a calling to invade the entire world with goodness and with a virtue as we're learning in the Lord. We have a calling to invade the entire world in our spheres of influence. So right now I'm, so I'm working for our church. I'm working for Liberty and I'm going to a Christian seminary and I teach French at a Christian school and I'm in this Christian bubble all the time. And, um, I was thinking the other day, I was like, man, I miss working in the public school because I got to share the gospel all the time. And like, that's what we're called to do. And so this whole thing where we're trying to get out of the world so that we can just sit in our own little thing, um, is, is not really what we're called to. It's actually the very opposite, right? Jesus came out of heaven into earth to reveal the heart of the father. Okay. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to come out of our little Christian bubbles into the world to reveal the heart of Jesus and say, Hey, the Lord loves you. He created you for a purpose. We're made to walk with him. So how does it relate to learning and knowledge? That means that if you're called to be something, go be really good at it. Like go through your heart and soul into it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it to the glory of God. Heaven isn't going to be like us sitting on clouds. There's going to be cool stuff. There's going to be art. There's going to be music. I think engineering is going to take place. I think technology is going to take place because God didn't give us that stuff in our brains and in our life for no purpose, right? Now, we won't be invaded by sin. So we'll be able to do things under the glory of God in fullness. But but take seriously the fact that you've been created for a purpose and go out and do it in the world unto the glory of God. Um, the next thing that he says is to, um, supplement knowledge with self-control. Um, yeah, self-control, refrain from sinning. So he says this because of what these false teachers are saying, right? False teachers are coming in and saying, we can do whatever. It's all good. And he comes and Peter comes and he says, no, 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 that's not the point. We're not called to just live like whatever we want. We're called to have self-control in our lives. Okay, so for us practically, though, because this is all, like, young people, for us practically, we don't know what self-control is in our culture. We just don't, right? Every song, like, on the radio is basically about getting as much of you-know-what as you want, okay? And everything that's on TV is, like, dude, all you got to do is watch MTV for, like, two hours, and then your brain is, like, poisoned, okay? And, like, I mean... I'm serious, though. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be a hater, and I'm not trying to be legalistic, but but we have to take seriously the fact that when everything that our culture tells us, like, hey, be pretty and rich and perfect and powerful and, um, you know, be well-liked by everybody and have lots of stuff and have lots of good food and, you know, and just like, it's all about indulging ourselves all the time. And Jesus did the very opposite of that. And he calls us to the very opposite of that. So what that might look like, that might look like in high school when you notice someone who's like definitely the outcast, it might mean that you choose not to indulge yourself by hanging out with your good friends right there, but you go hang out with the outcast and you exercise this, this thing where you're, you're denying yourself. 
You're saying, this isn't about me and my desires. I'm going to go and hang out with the outcast. Okay? You're actually using self-control in that moment because what yourself really wants is to be well-liked and have a good time with people and be comfortable. Okay? We have to use self-control regarding how much comfort we allow to domineer our lives. Um, we need self-control in all areas of our lives. Hi, Austin. <laughs> um, we need self-control in everything from the way we spend our money to the way that we look at things like food and drink um, and the way that we um, treat things like relationships and sexuality. We need self-control in all of these areas, and we need to take seriously that self-control isn't – it's not about, like, being a joy sucker, it's not about, like, destroying fun. It's actually about putting up, like, good boundaries for you to have an abundant life. Does that make sense? Some of you aren't with me. That's okay. Spencer's <laughs> like, I got you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, self-control is really hard. It also means we have to restrain, like, anger. It means we have to restrain disrespect. It means we have to restrain gossip. It means we have to restrain being mean to people. It means we have to, we have to actually use self-control. We have to actually say, I'm choosing right now. I am willing by the power of God because I've been given his divine power that's granted me all things pertaining to life and godliness. Because I have that, I'm going to make a choice, a conscious choice that I'm not going to give in to gossip or I'm not going to give in to dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank with whatever it is that you struggle with. Okay. Brief note here. I struggled for a long time with sexual sin. Okay. And so I just want to say that there is grace and God loves you and he is with you and he does not give up on you. Okay. And that there is actual power for self-control. And I think sometimes when you're stuck in a cycle of bondage, it feels like there isn't. And it feels like this is a joke. And it feels like you can read this all day long and it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And you start getting mad at yourself and you start getting mad at God. You're like, all right, if you, if I've been given all things, where's my self-control? And I just want to encourage you to take these passages to the Lord and sit with him. Sit with him on these passages. Stay there. Okay? Because this is a real thing. But it's something that the Holy Spirit has to minister to your heart. I, I, I don't know how to explain it very well, but I just really want to encourage you. If you're in a place where you're stuck in a cycle of sin, whether it's sexual sin or something else, I just really want to encourage you to press into these passages and recognize that before God even calls us to be and do these things, he first tells us what he's already given us. Okay, so God gives us a gift. God gives us a gift before he calls us to do something. God rescued Israel out of slavery before he gave them the Ten Commandments. You got saved before you got sent out into the world. Okay? It's all of grace. It's all of grace. You've been called. Like, it's a done deal. He loves you. He's brought you in. Like, that's all happened. Okay? You, we get the gift first, and then we respond. All right? So if you're trying to do the opposite thing, where you're trying to get out of sin and trying to, like, work your way up so that you can receive from God, it doesn't work like that. Okay? You need to set yourself here to receive from him all the power that he gives for life and godliness and then walk it out. Okay. Um, the next point is self-control steadfastness, dude. 
there is not a lot of steadfastness in our culture or in our generation. We pretty much give up after like five minutes and um, we especially give up if there's any form of failure involved or any form of humiliation, right? So it's like, <laughs> I sought God and he didn't talk to me for like a whole 15 minutes. So I quit. Like, not acceptable. You're called to steadfastness. I promise it'll be worth it. I don't have a whole lot to say about this, except that our generation is a generation of quitters. And um, we really shouldn't be. Um And we see examples of this in the scripture, right? So Jesus, he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew he was going to die. We see John the Baptist, who was faithful until the end. He's in in prison. And, um, whoa, hey, no text messages right now. So, anyways, my point is this. Um, If you want to be countercultural, if you want to be something that looks very different from the world, be a (laughs) non-quitter. Because the world is full of quitters. Our generation is full of people who won't do anything hard. Like, good job for waking up this morning and coming to church early in the morning. Like, a lot of the times we don't want to do that, right? Okay? Good job for coming while you guys are sick. You know, like, we're called to do hard stuff. And that's okay. Like, you're not going to, like, Jesus is going to sustain you. You're going to make it through. I promise. Um... I joke with my, my friend that went to Africa with me last, in, tw- in 2013, but I, I told her I came home from Africa and I felt like I could do anything. And that's not like a pr- I pride in myself. It was, it, I meant God got me through such intense and horrible and hard situations that if he could get me through that, he could get me through anything else. And it makes perseverance and steadfastness and sticking with it and like wanting to really pursue and do hard things for the sake, for the sake of Jesus. It makes it like almost enjoyable to some degree because you get to rely on God's strength and you know that he's going to miraculously get you through. And as you're relying and you're leaning on him, it's not on your shoulders anymore. I don't know how to describe it too well, but, but it's, it's not on your shoulders. It's very similar to what I talked about last night where Paul writes and says, this was, ha- this happened so that we would rely on God and not on ourselves. Um, so don't be a quitter. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Peter's writing this to, to these people who had been taught by these false prophets and teachers. You don't have to try hard. It's fine. But we do have to try hard. That's why he said to make every effort. <laughs> Jesus had to try hard. He sweat blood. I have not sweated blood. Okay, so my savior called me to be just like him and I haven't done that yet. So, so I'm still called to try hard. We're called to try hard. Um, and it's worth it. Um, the next one is, uh, is godliness. Here comes that godliness word again. Okay. And, um, I kind of already went over this, but, um, it's, uh, I think it's just really important for us to check ourselves like almost periodically and be like, Hey, is my faith, my, this stuff, affecting the way that I actually live. And I don't mean, am I going to church? Am I going to youth group? I don't even mean, am I just reading the Bible? Like practically affecting your relationships. Let's try. Am I being more respectful towards my parents? Am I extending more grace towards people that I don't like? Am I forgiving people? Am I involved in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked? Do I care about things that are going on in the world that are, that are unjust, that are not okay? Am I invested in those things at all? Okay, so 
we need to check ourselves and see if this stuff is actually practically affecting us. And then the last two are, are linked, but they're different. The first one is brotherly aff- affection. And I'm closing up right now. Here's my last two points. But um, it says brotherly affection. Um, Christians should not be hating each other. And they, um, yeah, one of my friends, um, who I won't say her name, but, um, I've been praying for her to get saved for like six years now, seven, this will be going on year seven, I guess. And the reason she's not, she used to go to church, but the reason she decided that God wasn't real because it was because of how she saw Christians treat one another. And so Jesus said that the world will know you by the love that you have for one another. And so if you're fighting and it is like drama fest 2015 all the time in your relationships, you are not displaying Jesus. And I love you and I know high school is hard, but that is not okay. Okay. We need to find a way to honor Jesus by loving one another, forgiving one another. Bite your tongue if you have to. Don't say something mean back. If all you can do is hold your peace, hold your peace. Like whatever you have to do, you know what I mean? To represent Jesus well in those times, do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. And so brotherly affection is about Christian to Christian relationships. But then the last word is love and love that, that word for love is the agape love. It's the love of the father. Okay. And the love of the father is for all. So we don't just love people in the church. We love Muslims. We love Jews. We love Buddhists. We love Hindus. We love atheists. We love people who hate us. Look, don't be one of those Christians that likes to get on Facebook and bash other people's religions and faiths. Don't be that because you are not walking in Jesus. That's not love. Okay, don't be one of those people. Be one of those people who, if if you want to argue with a Muslim, go become friends with a Muslim and love a Muslim. This is not complicated. This is what Jesus did. Jesus went to the Pharisees' house. He ate dinner with the Pharisees. He spoke to the Pharisees. Okay? Jesus engaged the people, the Samaritan woman, people who had different belief systems and who who were getting it wrong. He engaged them in conversation and in relationship. Don't be one of those people that gets a kick out of bashing other people's belief systems. That is not how we display the love of the Father. We also don't display the love of the Father by judging other people. Girls, well, I'll just say it to everyone. We do not need to be labeling unsaved people as... um, I'm not going to say any bad words, so never mind. But, but like, not bad words, but you know what I mean. We, we we don't need to be labeling other people and saying, oh well, they're this way or they're this way or or she's this and he's that. Like, we need to not label people that way, and we need to actually engage them in a relationship and draw near to them and actually want to love them into the kingdom. Okay, you don't get to write unbelievers off. You were an unbeliever. <laughs> you might be right now. Actually, I'm sure of it. There are unbelievers sitting in this room. And so, like, let's not be on a high horse, okay? Let's instead recognize that God, if anyone had a right to be on a high horse, it's him. And instead, he chose to come to this earth and wear sandals. The God who created the universe wore, like, sandals. So it is, it is an outward love, an outward um, expression of kindness and grace towards other people who may or may not receive you. They might reject you, and they might not ever be able to repay you for your love and your service. 
but that's what we're called to because it's the godlike love. It's agape love. Okay. Um, so in closing, I want us to look at Matthew 25. You guys there? Okay. Um, we're going to start in verse 31. But before I read this, one of the things that the, the, the bad teachers, the false teachers that Peter was writing about and writing against, one of the things that they were teaching was that there would be no final judgment. All right. They were basically saying, God's not going to judge anybody. It's all good. Nothing's really going to happen when the world ends. NBD. Okay. No big deal. Um, but clearly that's not what Jesus taught. Um, and so we want to base our lives off of what Jesus teaches. Okay, not even what we want to hear, but what Jesus teaches. And this is what he teaches. He says, verse 31, when the son of man, that's Jesus, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there's a kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. If we are his servants, if we are his people, we get to live in this awesome kingdom. Um, I, I, I want to be there and I want to live according to the rules of that kingdom now, you know? Um, and then check this out. Here's why. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, uh, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you sick or hungry or thirsty or naked or stranger or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay. I'm not, I don't like to talk about judgment, but Jesus talked about it. So we have to consider it, consider it. And it's very unpopular, right? For us to talk about that. Our generation would love to believe that, um, that everything's all good all the time. And, um, there's enough evil in the world for me to know that that's not the case. And some of you have experienced enough evil in your life. Some of you have been really wronged for you to know that, that that's not the case. Um, and so I just want to say this. Did you guys hear Jesus ask if anyone said the sinner's prayer in that final judgment thing? No? Okay, I didn't hear it either. I mean, if it was there, point it out because I might have missed it. But, but my point is this. We have all these churchy activities that we do and these churchy ways of living and these churchy ways of viewing God. And I said the sinner's prayer, so I'm saved. And that's not the, that's not the deal. The deal is if you're actually saved, you live it. And it gets expressed towards real people. <laughs> right? Because they're like, Jesus, we never saw you. Even the righteous people. They said, we didn't see you. And Jesus said, yes, every person that you served and loved, you served and loved me. 
so i just want us to uh i just feel like it's really important for us to understand this and like let's bring down our churchy talk sometimes let's just like calm it down it's not this nebulous like floaty cloud it's real life how you really treat people and I don't have this figured out. I'm asking God what godliness looks like for me in lots of areas of my life. I am. Okay, I'm in process. We're all in process. You don't have to have this figured out tomorrow. But you need to choose even now to make every effort. Okay, to supplement your faith and to run this race the way that Jesus would call you to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can practically and tangibly love you um, by loving others, and that it would have actual effects that show up in our life. I pray, God, that you would make godliness real to us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that don't know you. I ask that you'd capture their hearts for you, and I pray for those in this room who do know you um, but who feel like godliness is unattainable. I pray that they would know that they have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness so that they could become partakers in the divine nature, that they could be like Jesus. And I pray that we would remember that that's through knowing you, God. I pray that we would press on to know you, and then in the process of knowing you, God, you would work out in our lives really practical, real, tangible ways that we would love other people. And we just, we know, God, that that's going to be really hard. And so we ask for your strength, and we trust your strength, and we're going to draw on that even now. I thank you um, just for this weekend. I ask that you fill us with your spirit and cause us to learn more and to receive more, God, um, as the day goes on. Thank you so much for your word. Um, We love you. I pray this in your name. Amen.